Welcome back to Booze and Buffy, a podcast where we are watching and discussing every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel the Series one by one. We will be discussing details from previous episodes, but there will be no spoilers for future episodes. Coming in unprepared with a humorous statement, I'm Harrison. And I'm Jason, and I also don't want my store looted. Harrison, what episode are we watching this week? We are watching Buffy Season 6, Episode 2, Bargaining, Part 2. Oh, I'm so glad. <laughs> like, I would have been like, I would have really felt a little pissed if we like didn't do Bargaining Part 2 right after Bargaining Part 1. <laughs> um, this is the one where we uh, we pick up immediately um, from where the Part 1 uh, uh, ends with the Hellions ravaging Sunnydale um, and Buffy clawing her way out of her own grave. Great. Um, there's uh, the... She's reunited with the Secret Scoobies and with Dawn and emotions are quite high. Also, Tara kills a demon. Yeah, with an axe. We love it. And my axe. <laughs> Bargaining Part 2 was written by David Fury and directed by David Grossman and originally aired on the UPN on October 2nd, 2001. What a night of television. Mm-hmm. I, I actually was a little, like... It was the right move, I think, for us to split this into two and do two episodes, but I was also, like, part of me last week when we were watching it was like, but I just want to keep watching. I don't want to stop. <laughs> All right, hit it. Thank you to our musicians in the room. That was very lovely. They did a great job. Yeah, everybody, give, give a hand for the band. Round of applause for the band. The, <laughs> uh, the, the band in question being Grace on GarageBand. Um, you know, that was my top artist on Spotify. <laughs> Grace on GarageBand. <laughs> I'm just joking. I don't use Spotify anymore. Um, I use Apple Music. Oh, right. Jason. Yep. We're drinking. We're drinking some red wine. We are. It's from a bottle. <laughs> that is a, uh, that's actually kind of a rarity um, when it comes to these podcasts. Not there's anything wrong with boxed wine. Actually, I remember uh, the closer, the more Harrison and I hung out and got closer to each other, I realized that, oh, Harrison loves his boxed wine. I don't, it's not that I love boxed wine specifically. It's just I love wine, and boxed wine is really convenient. <laughs> uh, and also, boxed wine, I feel like the quality of it has really shifted. Um, <laughs> Maybe because it became a much more viable option for wine consumers. Well, um, but no, we, uh, a couple weeks ago, my mom gifted us a wine rack from her house that she no longer needed. Um, so we bought a bunch of bottles of wine to put on there so that it would not just be an empty wine rack. Um, and, uh, we popped one open last night and, uh, we were drinking the remnants of it, uh, because I am capable of drinking, of not drinking an entire bottle of wine in one sitting. Nobody insinuated that you didn't, mm. but you kind of just insinuated it yourself. <laughs> All right. Um, a toast. A toast. Here's to Buffy. Yeah, welcome back, welcome babe. Welcome back, Buffy. It's 
simple. We don't need much more. Sorry, we're in your coffin still. Yeah. <laughs> um, which we didn't really mention last week, but um, we have mentioned previously on the show that uh, being buried alive is like a specific phobia that Sarah Michelle Gellar has. Um, so I'm sure that was not an easy thing to film. Um, I'd say that was filmed very well. Oh, filmed yeah, so well. Um, very, very much able to give us the idea of claustrophobia. Mm-hmm. And, oh yeah, I'm freaked out that, yeah. that Puffy's in that coffin and I'm not even in there. Yeah, I'm like the whole time I was just like, oh, thank God she has super strength. Like, that's really going to make this a lot easier for her to get out of there, but... Um, physically, if not psychologically. Mm-hmm. Um, so before we dive in, wouldn't that be a really fun, like, uh, episode of something like a superhero that has super stability, super psychological stability? Like hmm. nothing can phase them. They always, uh, they're always healthy. They're always mentally healthy, and they always are in the right frame of mind. It would be so funny because it seems so strange. I just like, I don't know. I don't know. Something about what you just said was very triggering. And I don't know why. I'm, I'm sorry. It's very, I don't know. Maybe maybe it was just jealousy. I was just like, oh, that would be great. Not even, <laughs> not even just like the superhero part. Just, yeah. I just love that mental stability all the time. Super stable person. <laughs> um, I I thought for a minute you were going with like stability, like, um, like a physical stability and I don't know I just I got sent to that episode of uh Torchwood where Jack is buried alive for like a hundred years mm. and like is dying and reviving like over and over and I was just oof um anyway um we didn't really touch on this uh, last week, so I figured it would be a good place to start this week. Um, the significance of the title of the episode, uh, this two-parter, is Bargaining, which is the third of the six steps of grief, stages of grief. Um, you start with uh, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and then acceptance. So I guess maybe I've seen different orders that uh, swap depression and bargaining mm. it's interesting um i get that makes sense the one i was looking at had depression be- or had bargaining and then depression um, okay but it makes sense that there might be different studies of thought that mm-hmm. might locate them but um i just wanted to kind of touch upon based on that order the depression being right before acceptance where our characters are um I think uh, Dawn, Spike, and Giles have moved into the depression um, stage. And I think that um, Spike specifically, obviously, but um, I think that Tara, Xander, and Anya would be there with them. But I think the three of them are being held in the bargaining stage by Willow. She's very much stuck in that stage until kind of the middle of this episode after she kind of accepts that. When she finds out that the urn of Osiris has been destroyed. She, I think that finally, ironically, that that breaks, she successfully bargained for what she wanted. And 
Um, but um, I just find that it's kind of interesting that I think all of our Scoobies are in the depression stage or should be in the depression stage, but Willow's will power um, and the force of her personality is, is so strong that she is holding those three there with her. You know, bargaining was net, was always the, uh, was always kind of the part that in, it always seemed the most unclear mm-hmm. of stages of grieving because, um, what exactly are you bargaining for? Do you want them? Do you want the person that you lost to come back? But it's more than that. Like it could be, um, you. It, it it could be something as simple as I wish I could have done something more, mm-hmm. or I wish I could have spent more time with them. Uh, and it, it's honestly bargaining isn't as clear of a term as regret is, maybe. Mm-hmm. But I'm not a psychologist, yeah. so... Well, I think you're right. I think bargaining looks different for different... I mean, all of the stages are going to look mm-hmm. different for different people, but I think bargaining probably is the one that is going to have the most variations. You know, I think we saw it in Spike... You know, we didn't see Spike go through it, but he definitely... Um, his... Uh, he, he mentions how he failed to protect Dawn. You know, so his kind of bargaining process was probably going through the, like, I wish I could have protected Dawn. And now he's kind of, that's his atonement now, yeah. is protecting her. Um, uh, Giles is going, probably went through it. Literally, uh, we his sub- summation of bargaining, I would say, would have been his conversation with the Buffy bot about, you know, he, his failure to protect Buffy. Um, and Willow... However, hers is quite literally, you know, uh, it's, it's quite literal. She wants the person she lost back. And what's so dangerous about that willpower and that desire is that she has the skill, the power, and I'm going to say the recklessness. Mm-hmm. Uh, so bad to back it up. Yeah, like, I mean... Uh, it's one thing to say, you know, I'd do anything to bring my friend back to life. Um, it's a, quite another to do it. Mm-hmm. And we've already started to see the psychological toll that that's taken on Buffy. Um, because this episode, despite, yay, Buffy's back, I mean, it ends on quite a bleak note. Um, even though we should be happy and celebrating. Welcome to season six, friends. Yeah, well, you know, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack when one is brought back from the dead. Yes. Um. So the uh the secret Scoobies. Um. I just I love that. Um, they uh they managed to uh, reconnect in the woods away from the uh the Hellions, um, and Xander is immediately like, let's split up. All right, Fred. Right. <laughs> it's so. It, well, it's, you know, the, it's really funny when he said that because in my head I was thinking, I don't know if that is the best idea. And then Anya immediately says, no, that's not a good idea at all. Well, here's the thing I get narratively, narratively they need Willow and Xander on their own. That matters. And that's important. And. That as a byproduct, we get a delightful pairing of Tara and Anya, which yes. is lovely, even though it's less essential to what's going on here. However, it, they so it would have been so much easier 
for Xander to just say, you know, I need to carry Willow. I am the largest and strongest here. It's not sexist. It's just a fact. Like, but I'm, it's going to slow us down. You two should go ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no reason that they should all be slowed down. But yeah, instead he's just like, let's split up. It's like, no, just tell them to go ahead and you'll be behind with Willow. Mm-hmm. It's fine. <laughs> Xander and Willow uh, stop so Willow can can catch her breath. Um, and Xander basically, I don't know if his timing's great, but he, is, he rightfully is just like, what the fuck, Willow? What the fuck was all of that? Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to get on him for it because that... It apparently seems that uh, she didn't give them the mm-hmm. full details of what was going to happen. And Xander and probably Anya as well. I don't know how much Tara knew about it. but um, <coughs> Excuse me. Tara seemed to know a little bit more about it than Xander and Anya yeah. did. But, I mean, you know, I'd be freaked the hell out, oh, too. Yeah. I think Tara knew something would happen. I do not think Willow told her everything i don't even i mean we don't even know how much willow knew what happened um does anybody know about the deer (laughs) (laughs) nope (laughs) um but uh xander tries to be like you know we can find another urn and try again she's like no that was the last one he's like we can repair it she's like no it's tarnished it won't work anymore we failed Buffy is dead and she's not coming back. And, um, yeah, that's rough. Um, Tara and Anya overhear some demons, uh, talking about their plans to go and loot some stores. Anya says, not on my watch, Biatch. She's so, she's so (laughs) sad because she just got the magic box. Oh my gosh. I... Anya's very funny. This is a fact. Mm-hmm. And all of her stuff in this episode is very funny. But there were a few times where I was just like... Is... Is the humor appropriate for the moment? Is it... And I was kind of going back and forth. There were, um, like, is this appropriately lightening the mood so that we can have a bit of a breather from how heavy everything is? Or... Is is it some is it sometimes like a real tonal whiplash? A lot of the stuff, a lot of like the humor, unfortunately, is like kind of laid on Anya. Yeah. Um, even so much as that she has some very Xander esque lines, mm-hmm. and I I was telling you, I think they have clearly spent a lot of time together <laughs> because Anya. When she was talking about the for, the woodsy trees, yeah. I'm like, oh my god, that's just something that Xander would say. Right. Uh, but there are a couple things that did land. Um, I don't think a lot of the magic box stuff landed for me, but uh, I did love when um, they were trying to talk to Buffy and get her to snap yeah. out of it. And she's like, I've got an announcement. <laughs> I think, uh, here, yes, I think a lot of the magic box stuff didn't land because it felt... Um, the reason that when she tries to get tell her that they're engaged works is because it is Anya's misplaced sense of being helpful. She legitimately believes that what she's going to say is going to be helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why for me, the humor there works. Um, 
Whereas some of the magic box stuff, I, I part of me is just like, not like, it doesn't matter, Anya, and like I know it matters to Anya, but um, I, 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 it felt almost a little callous in some ways. You know yeah, what I mean? yeah, it, it's like we we know that Anya has this certain style of humor, and uh, to the outside observer. It can be like, oh my god, really? That's what you're going to say at this moment? But that's just because they don't get it. But yeah. even this was like, we had that viewpoint as well. Like, okay, yeah. um, really? Right now? Yeah. <laughs> Once they're in the magic box, it bothered me less. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, the, acting like that was a primary motivation to get there bugged me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like it was a bit of a disservice to the character. It felt like it's like, oh, we only think of her as as punchlines. Yeah. Um, and we know she's so much more than that. Which, I mean, she was very not that in the last episode. Yeah. That's what... I, I'm going to say this. Um, as good as the last episode was, this episode was not as good. It's not as good. It, yeah, I still think it's strong, but it's... I think it's a, it is a step down from part one. I think there's a lot of... I think there's a lot of drawing things out. Mm-hmm. And in the whole, like... Because while Buffy kind of walking the streets of Sunnydale is cool i i I like those i like those scenes it does feel like it takes a long time to get to the point Mm -hmm. where um where she finally like reunites with the scoobies and it uh it it just kind of feels like padding like there wasn't Mm -hmm. enough material for a whole nother episode but there was too much for (laughs) one episode yeah like, maybe instead of a two-parter, this should have just been, I mean... Like a 90-minute episode or yeah, something like Yeah, like an that. extended, I mean... Well, 90-minute total airtime. Yeah. Not, because uh, I think it probably is close to 90 minutes. Um, yeah, probably. Without commercials. Um, they weren't really doing this at this, this time in television very often, but I was thinking of, like, um, some of those, uh, some lost episodes that, like, had the same that were like extended to mm-hmm. like 60 minutes of total screen I mean, time you're on upn man you could have had you could have had just a a 90 minute episode and then had that last half hour be like an episode of the pjs or something <laughs> um meanwhile at the summer's home uh dawn is watching the hellions from the window as they trash their mailbox mm-hmm. i don't know something about the the mailbox getting smashed made me like weirdly sad because in my mind, like Joyce picked out that mailbox and, or at the very least, put the sign that said "Summers" on it. If if it, the mailbox itself came with the house, I don't know. The scene the mailbox get smashed made me really sad about Joyce. It made me think um. about it made me think about Stand by Me when uh, Keeper Sutherland is just bashing all the mailboxes with a uh, with baseball bat, um, or that episode of Rick and Morty where they go to the world where every all the Everyone there is a mailbox in the summer <laughs> city. <laughs> uh, you know, Stand By Me, Rick and Morty, same thing. Um, but uh, Spike's basically like, get your dumb ass away from that window. <laughs> um, but they're going to try to go find a safer location. Um, Buffy herself uh, is, you know awake in her coffin and panicking and freaking out and um we get to see it um a bit from her perspective um not just here but throughout the episode and everything's very hazy 
um, it's a really good effect um, to kind of put us in, literally put us in Bobby's head. Uh, but yeah, she she busts busts right on out of there, and uh, you know her hair's uh, her hair's a little darker than it was yeah, uh, when a she darker, died, a little longer. L- um, yeah, uh, that's a, a little bit a little bit of Han Solo shirt syndrome there. Yeah, it's. Um, Do you're familiar with that? That's when he comes out of carbonite, right? It's yeah, yeah, like it's, a different we, shirt. Well, no, no. When he's frozen in carbonite, his shirt is untucked. Oh, that's when right. he when he comes out of the carbonite, his shirt is tucked in. It's um, her hair. The length of it is so funny to me because they're clearly playing on that like idea that your hair and fingernails still grow after you die, which is not true. Um, that's just like your skin around them, like receding so it looks like it's longer (laughs) um but you know that was very much believed to be true by a lot of people for a long i'm sure a lot of people still do believe that to be true um but i really liked it like she needs a comb uh... yeah overall buffy looks great i was mentioning how it's a shame that this is just a burial dress because she (laughs) looks fantastic in it and you know buffy being able to beat up uh being able to beat up demons in a black dress that's an aesthetic that i want i'm into it um while we're on the subject i let's just talk about that those parallels to prophecy girl um the last time buffy was resurrected uh that time wearing a white dress um and uh yeah it's that was very much played up as an empowering moment it's it's you know it's the time it's the show's theme song gets to play while she's doing a power walk in her in her dress and her leather coat mm-hmm. like um whereas here you know she's back to life again but this time she's wearing black uh she's very stoic she's when she is responsive it's you know kind of panicky and um none of this is played out as triumphant um Tara and Anya uh, do arrive safely at the magic box. The magic box is also safe um, for the moment. And uh, one of the few places in Sunnydale that hasn't been right? messed the hell up. Uh, for like the first time ever. <laughs> <laughs> you, I mean, as Xander says, this is normally like NORAD when we go to DEF CON 1. Um, and here, here's where Anya works better for me when she's panicking about Xander. Um, Tara comforts her and tells her, like, you're gonna be okay, you know, they're together, she's, he's with Willow, and if something happened to Willow, I could feel it, and I know you'd feel it if it's something else, and it was a sweet moment, and I, you, Jason, you mentioned while we were watching that we don't get enough Tara, Anya, one-on-ones, but when we do, they're just, it, yeah, they're, they're unfortunately, their characters are so defined by their relationships mm-hmm. to the you know, characters that have been there since the beginning of the show. Right. Um, but yeah, they, they've they done a good... Uh, the writers have done a good job of making these characters kind of strong all on their own. Yeah, and um, and their personalities are just so different that putting them together is... It's a little bit of... A um, little bit of fire and ice. Um, and they, they complement each other very well. Even in scenes where they don't have any lines. Or, or no, they do have lines. Never mind. I was... Thinking back to season four when they were hiding out in Giles's bathroom while the other Scoobies were having their fight and they were <laughs> commenting 
on how nice the tile was. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tara uh, casts a spell. Um, it's a little ball of light to help uh, to help guide Willow and Xander to them. Because they are lost as hell. Lost as hell. Because Xander, who thinks he has been following the North Star, has been following a, what turns out to be a blimp. Well, um, or it, it could be a plane, it could be a blimp. Honestly, when he corrected Willow saying that it's a blimp, can we really trust him? The guy no. thought that like it was. I thought he was. I, I I absolutely believe that was his attempt at saving face. <laughs> the uh, and I pointed this out to Harrison. I don't know if it was intentional or not, but uh, between um, Xander's hair and the shirt that he's wearing, it's giving me a lot of Ash mm-hmm. from the Evil Dead uh, vibes. Because I mean, you know, at this point. The character Ash is iconic. Mm-hmm. Like the blue shirt is iconic. I. It was funny when you said that because I. I'd never really thought about it, but when you said it, I was like, oh yeah, actually. And Nicholas Brendan and Bruce Campbell do have a bit of a resemblance, especially since Nicholas Brendan is clearly bulked up a bit between seasons five and six here. Um, uh, Brendan doesn't quite have that. Uh, that uh very uh he doesn't have the chin the chin the chin that, that, that's that's he doesn't have that bruce campbell he doesn't chin. have that bruce campbell chin but no one does only bruce campbell has that bruce campbell chin mm-hmm. um it's actually really funny um he is he's uh a recurring actor in xena warrior princess not shocking uh you know the whole sam raimi being attached to it and yeah. everything. um but he he plays a character called autolycus who's the king of thieves and um there was an episode he, I was watching recently that he appeared in, but he in his first appearance he's like in disguise, but has his like in his face is like completely covered by like a veil or something. And the second he walked on screen, I didn't even remember that his character had been in this that episode. He walked on screen, and I was like, I know that chin. <laughs> I was like, Atollicus is in this episode. <laughs> Credits hadn't rolled yet. I hadn't seen his name. You know, Xena is not a show that I know well enough to like know every episode. I've only seen the show through once. But I was like, I know that chin anyway. That's a great name for a character, Atollicus. Ato- oh, I mean, Xena was had like so many good character names. I'm sure Hercules like, did too. Uh, which I really want to watch Hercules, but it is like not streaming anywhere, and um, Netflix like only has like the, the DVDs for seasons like three and four for some reason. It's Very so strange. strange. Um, uh, you know the Kevin Sorbo of it all aside, um, but it made me really sad uh, when I heard like you know the kind of crap that he was saying on social media mm-hmm. because uh, a few years ago. Um, before, like, I knew anything about, like, where he stood socially or politically. Um, my dad was a huge fan of Hercules growing up. Or, or like, my, my dad was a huge fan of that show when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, what, the year that we went to a convention in Louisville and we got to meet the cast of Star Trek The Next Generation, um, Kevin Sorbo was also, like, a guest mm-hmm. there. And, um, I think, like, he... 
uh, he had just like uh, there was nobody at like his table while we were walking through. He's like, oh, and he, my dad was like, oh, look, there's Kevin Summer. Like, well, Dad, go up and say hi to him. He's like, you can just do that. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, that's why they're there. Aww. I mean, he's not gonna like. He's not going to charge you just to talk to him. And so he went up there and uh, very similar to meeting the uh, the TNG cast. Uh, I guess he like my dad kind of act like a little kid again and just be like, and he just like talked to her and talked about how much he loved Hercules. And, you know, like, and uh, I also saw like Kevin Sorbo was like just smiling. He had this big smile on his face because you know, I, I think like he likes his, I think he loves his fans. Like yeah. I've always said that. Um my favorite celebrities that I've met are the ones that clearly love their fans. Yeah. Um, because unfortunately, not all celebrities are like that. True. Absolutely true. Well, despite Kevin Sorbo being kind of a piece of shit, I'm glad your dad has that memory. Yeah. Because, you know, Tara casts the spell that successfully guides Willow and Xander back to the magic box. Um, back over to Buffy. She's wandering through town as you mentioned before she um just kind of dazed um can you blame her (laughs) yeah (laughs) she uh bumps into a car and sets off the alarm um and we get uh, some guy come out of his house and like shoot a shotgun into the air to scare her off um i really like that moment we don't see a lot of the people of Sunnydale. The people of Sunnydale <laughs> and how they're reacting to all of this. And we don't need to. That really shouldn't be the focus of what this episode is. But to have that moment of like, it's not like people are just like, well, what's going on? Like, well, it, you know, people are scared. And I think people are more scared in this instance because, you know, while Sunnydale's usually crawling with vampires, mm-hmm. vampires can't get into your house unless mm-hmm. they're invited in. Right. So there is some protection against them. There's next to and also daylight as well yeah um but there's next to no protection against these against these hellions yeah and it's and we've never seen any monster or group of monsters be so brazen Mm -hmm. about what they're doing and you know xander not xander um spike uh tells don like you know these people these this these these hellions they usually only attack like places that are towns and you know where they won't draw much attention to themselves and clearly the lack of slayer guarding the hellmouth um has is a big deal that they would be so open about what they're doing um and it's something we've not seen before i mean the closest would have been um the mayor had he you know, not blown up at the school. Yeah, he was fairly contained in the school, so it really wasn't a uh, problem that a lot of the adults of Sunnydale had to deal with. Right. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, just the students. Yeah, and you know, the adults are probably like, oh, I can't believe they're going to rebuild Sunnydale, they're going to cut me so much taxes and everything. (laughs) Um, I have some thoughts uh, about the mayor uh, a little later in the episode. Oh, really? Um, Yes. Um, He's not even in this episode. I know, but I felt, I felt, I uh, his presence. No, well, I felt his, <laughs> I felt his lack of presence. I guess I'll say, um, but well, I'll I'll just leave you in suspense for a little while. All right. Um, she. Um, uh, uh, oh gosh. We, we, we're jumping around so much, so I'm just going to stick with Buffy okay. for the moment. Um, she encounters a group of the Hellions who have the Buffy bot 
chained up, um, uh, one limb each to one of their motorcycles. So you know where this is going. Yeah. And I, I do love how, um, I can't remember who it was that said it, whether it was Xander or Spike, but I know it was one of the male characters. And uh, they said, you know, hopefully they'll like, you know, just get worn out and then move on. And uh, then, you know, yep. perfect smash cut to... Welcome to your new home, boys! <laughs> exactly. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was Xander. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, they tear the Buffy bot apart. Uh, but not Limb before, from limb. Limb from fucking limb. Um, but not before the Buffy bot sees Buffy. Um, and not shockingly, this is... Also pretty traumatic for Buffy to see herself be ripped apart. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And she screams. Um, The the demons see her. She runs. Um, At the the magic box, um, the the secret Scoobies have gathered. They're trying to figure out what to do next. Um, They can't get a hold of Spike and Dawn. Um, they, and Will is basically like, she's tapped out. Yeah. But she, despite being tapped out magic wise, she's like, we got to get out there. We got to do something. And Anya is, I, this is also a really a great moment for Anya too here. Um, so I don't, I, I want to retract a bit where I, at the beginning, I did not mean to imply that Anya gets nothing good in this episode. Um, and that she's reduced to only a punchline. I just think the, the early punchlines too much. Well, I mean, and Anya does that thing that she always does so well. She says the thing mm-hmm. that everybody is thinking. Yep. And, you know, some might think that that's not helpful, but I feel that in almost all the instances that she's done it, it is helpful because it makes things real. Yeah. Um, when this, as Oz would say, when the subtext becomes text, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden things get put into perspective mm-hmm. and you start making your plan. Yeah. I, I th- yeah, no, you're right. Anya says what needs to be said. She sometimes needs someone to help her to, uh, explain the point that she's trying to make um but yeah which is why xander's there (laughs) yeah um but i yeah she basically she's like you know we don't have a buffy bot spike's missing giles is gone willow you're looking real magicked out like we need buffy Mm -hmm. and willow's just like well tough titty um but Those exact him, words. Those exact words. <laughs> it really that Willow, that Willow is so known for saying. <laughs> Tough city on Willow Rosenberg. <laughs> <laughs> Will Anya? Tough titty. She's dead. Um, <laughs> Willow takes a turn here. Um, but um, she. But ba- Willow's basically. You know what? You're right, but. That's the reality of the situation is she's dead, and it's up to us. The Scoobies are wandering through town, and uh, Buffy, having freshly fled from the the Hellions, kind of... Freshly fled from. I like that. <laughs> nice. uh, she appears in front of them. She drops down from over a fence. They initially think it's the Buffy bot. Uh, except Willow. Except Willow. Willow knows immediately. Um, Buffy runs from them 
she hides. They try to comfort her. Um, during this time, Anya has been trying to convince Xander to tell everyone that they're engaged. Um, the media, Willow clearly needs a pick-me-up. Uh, yeah. Buffy clearly needs a pick-me-up. Um, but uh, Tara notes that Willow's, or Will's, uh, Buffy's hands are bloody. She's filthy. Uh, and it's Xander who Xander puts it, it together. Um, and yes, you all were stupid. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I imagine there was some but sort then of again, thought process that, like, it's magic, so she'll just appear. They, yeah, us. you know, this is what happened. You know, Willow clearly didn't think of it at all. Mm-hmm. So this is what happens, Willow, when you don't let everybody in on the plan. Uh-huh. This is what happens when you think with your magic dick instead of your brain. This is why you always leave a note. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> Going to resurrect Buffy will be very dangerous. <laughs> Willow. <Don't>, little heart. <laughs> P.S. Dinner in the fridge. <laughs> Left money for pizza. <laughs> uh, we have to laugh. Otherwise, we'll go mad. Um, we'll build a tower. <laughs> um, the Hellions arrive. And uh, after some some banter uh, between them, uh, Razor is the lead alien's name. Um, the uh, Buffy. I do love the specifically the exchange between uh, Razor and Xander. Yes. When, Ra- when Razor's like, uh, "Oh, so Slayer's alive and well. It doesn't look so good though." And and Xander says, "Oh well." I don't see you winning any beauty contest. Mm-hmm. That is unless the, my face just melted off pageant came into town. Which, by the way, that was out of the park. Nice. Good job, Xander. Good job, Xander. <laughs> That's a solid burn. A phrase we rarely say on this podcast. <laughs> um, this, is, th- this podcast is going to be much more pro-Xander in these last two seasons. Um, Razor says some... Pretty horrible, horrible things that I won't repeat about yeah. sexually assaulting the women. Yeah, um, there were like, there was like at least five different kinds of gross in there. Yeah. Probably more. Yeah. I, I keep going back and forth where I'm like, was, was it too much? Did it cross the line? Or was it what it needed to be to establish this threat? Yeah, tell you what, and, I don't think it was necessary to say that. Yeah. I mean, I... You could have said, like, I'm going to, like, you know, tear you all apart or something and still get the, uh, and mm-hmm. still get the overall same thing. I mean, I didn't feel, I didn't feel any more scared for the characters. I just felt, like, very grossed out that that dialogue was in there. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Um, luckily, this is when Buffy steps up, uh, and the Razor goes to throw a punch which Buffy catches so really great detail that I liked in this that mm-hmm. one shot when Buffy catches the razor's punch a little bit of dust and dirt flies off of oh, her I didn't hand. even notice that yeah that was such a good touch and I don't know if that was intentional or if like you know she just happened to still have all of that <laughs> stuff on her hands and uh, you know they did that and you know Sarah Michelle Gellar probably didn't catch that punch, maybe, or... Probably not. Yeah, so I think that was intentional, and 
I thought that was a really nice touch that maybe you wouldn't notice if you if this is your first time seeing it, but that was good. Yeah, I liked it. Um, the fight breaks out as as they are wont to do on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, she doesn't slay them politely, and she fights. Um, and despite the Hellions kind of giving getting an early edge in, uh, where they kind of have Buffy cornered and beaten down, um, the Scoobies are successful. And in a lesser show, no, I don't want to say lesser show because I don't want to insult, you know, other television shows. You know, I you don't need to insult other works of art to compliment what you're talking about but in a different type of show this would have been a like oh Buffy's back sort of moment um and Xander even says like she's back um but that's not the story we're telling and she she flees from the rest of the gang um and uh to our other missing Scoobies yes uh Spike was able to uh knock a knock a hellion right off of his motorcycle and uh he then gives don a football helmet yes to ride uh to ride on as they're all trying to get what i assume is out of town they do come across the buffy bot that has mm-hmm. been torn limb from limb from limb again it's not very often that you get to like <laughs> actually use that phrase literally not really um this scene is so sad it is because at this point don we could tell in part one that Dawn does see, and I mean, you know, you had the whole scene where she was lying in bed mm-hmm. um, and with the Buffy bot help, like, and that helped her to go to sleep, that she does see it as this is the closest thing I'll have to having my sister still with me. Yeah. And now we see uh, that even that's gone. Mm-hmm. And, but before she does uh, head into that, great robot yonder <laughs> the, uh she does mention that there is a another buffy yeah and i think so i like where this i like where it eventually gets us to but there is like a lot of convenience and dawn just immediately thinks oh this is gonna be uh oh clearly buffy's back yeah and she um or at least she starts thinking that maybe she doesn't fully believe it but she does think like, oh, there's another Buffy. And then, you know, she ends up like coming across that uh, that Hellion that Buffy impaled. She's mm-hmm. like, oh, that must have been Buffy. And then she sees the tower and automatically assumes that Buffy went up there. Yeah. So that is a lot of convenience that I really kind of rolled my eyes at. But it yeah. gets us to the final scene. Which is just so good. Yeah. Um, R.I.P. The Buffy bot. I actually feel really it, bad for the Buffy bot. Is that the last time that we see the Buffy? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, okay, Buffy yeah, R.I.P. Buffy bot is done. Uh, Spike, he's like, I don't think Willow's gonna be able to fix mm-hmm. this. It's weird that I feel sad for her. No, it's not. Like it's, it's not. I mean, the entire point of I was made to love you. I mean, you felt sad for That's true. for that robot, and you know, the fact that uh, the Buffy bot came back and has, and I mean, honestly. Even though our light of an arc, even yeah, even though our last, like the last episode was kind of like the real true. This is how the Buffy bots incorporated into the show. Now, it was really good. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's 
All of her stuff in the in the school is fantastic. So good. Well, before we go over to Glory's Tower, R.I.P. Glory, um, or I guess not, you know, rest in hell, Glory. Mm-hmm. Um, Speaking of hell. <laughs> um, uh, the Scoobies are kind of collect. the secret Scoobies are collecting themselves, um, only for Razor to reveal he is not quite dead. He, uh, <laughs> I'm not yet dead. <laughs> <laughs> He uh, throws the gang around pretty easily um, before he has Willow. Uh, there is such hold. a great scene where he's um, like, he's got Xander, I think, pinned to the wall. And then mm-hmm. the three girls come and like, you know. Wailing on Yeah, him. they may not be the strongest, but they are like, you know, they've all got weapons and they're all just like going after him. I mm-hmm. love that. Yeah, and those three actors were just like, pretend he's Joss, pretend he's Joss. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> um, anyway. Um, but, uh, he, yeah, he's got Willow. Uh, he's choking her out. And Tara axes his motherfucking back. Uh, happy first kill, Tara. Love to see it. <laughs> Is that her first kill or her first kill with the axe? I am going to assume first kill. Okay. I mean, they do make a big deal out of it. Yeah. Um, and, and it is cool because at first you probably assume that it's Xander because Xander was the one who had the axe for the majority oh, of the yeah. fight. But it is Terra, and I really like that. I think we're meant to assume that it's either Xander or that it's Buffy has come back. Mm-hmm. I, we're meant to assume that, but I love that it's Terra. Yes. Um, um, Terra gets... So much more in this season than she has before, oh, yeah. and I love it. Oh yeah, season six is and you know, Tara's best season. And you know, like you know, <laughs> she also she also has better clothes. Yes, better I mean, hair. I, I know, I know. People love her. There are probably some people that love her like uh, free spirit outfits from seasons four and five. But I gotta say, what she's wearing in this is great, and also battle battle ready. Yeah. Like, give me more of her in that long red leather coat. Love it. All right. Over to Glorious Tower. Let's talk about the mayor real quick. Okay. Mayor Wilkins would never have allowed this tower to remain intact. Who is running Sunnydale at the moment? Who has allowed this, this, this unchartered tower that is clearly unstable and a danger to public safety? Mayor Wilkins? Evil, yes. But he would never have endangered... The public safety in that way. He would have eaten the public, yes. It's very funny how Mayor Wilkins is kind of like the reverse of a lot of politicians. Like, uh, most most politicians, especially in the GOP, um, kind of let, like, their evil lust for power, um, you know, basically make it so that they can't pass any laws at all. Um, Whereas, you know, the mayor... He's got an evil lust for power, but that doesn't stand in the way of him having a very tightly run town. Uh Yes. Mayor Wilkins has a very strong sense of civic duty um, and a very strong sense of turning into a giant snake. And those are not incompatible things. I'm just saying. Season three of Buffy. I'm just saying. (laughs) I'm just saying. This tower... He would have had construction crews out there. Xander probably would have been one of them. He would have been managing the the destruction of this tower. All I'm saying. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. I, that makes me kind of interested in like how would 
the mayor reacted to Glory's presence in Sunnydale. Mm. He would have been aware of it. Mm-hmm. He would have almost had to have been aware of it. And like, how would those two have butted heads? Because yeah. I feel that Wilkins would have been Wilkins would have like worked with the initiative. Um, he would have been like, all right, now let's let's establish some groundwork. I could easily see that being like a partnership mm-hmm. that could take down Buffy. Um, but uh, oh man, God, Maggie Walsh and Mayor Wilkins working together. Ooh, that's hot. That sounds awesome. <laughs> but uh, I don't know how he would react to Glory because, like, I, I don't think he he would have the power pre ascension to um like tell glory like hey this is how things are run she'd probably be like whatever man (laughs) yeah no it's it's an interesting thought because yeah it's like he i definitely i feel like there probably would have been like a i don't know maybe like a sort of quasi partnership where he's like okay i'll help you find your key but we're gonna do this in an orderly way we're gonna, you know, you know, we'll just get you home. We'll just get you mm-hmm. home, uh, and then be done with this whole thing. Um, I can see that, yeah. Uh, so, anyway, Buffy is at the top of Glory's tower. Um, they, uh, she's, she's worryingly looking below. She's remembering uh, the events of the gift. Um, uh, the music from the gift is playing just so to just really get that knife in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that's when Dawn uh, arrives up there as well. So I want to, um, I, I feel like, you know, the, the, the initial urge is to give props to Sarah Michelle Gellar mm-hmm. for um, a great performance in which she doesn't say practically anything. Mm-hmm. But... I think we should give special props to Michelle Trachtenberg in this scene because equally as hard, if not harder, is to be the only person talking and not and having a person not react to Mm -hmm. you. Because, you know, my my theater director in uh, in high school, um, she would always tell us that acting is reacting. And that's like a whole nother level where you have to react to somebody's non-reaction to you yeah. <laughs> and yeah. gosh michelle trachtenberg y'all need to stop being mean to dawn stop being mean to dawn although i'm gonna be being to dawn a little bit this, this season. this yeah this season <laughs> isn't, isn't great for dawn but we'll we'll get to that yeah but i i mean but let's let's just remember i mean what the girl has gone through mm-hmm. i mean we don't need to list it we've talked about it enough but like this girl is traumatized yeah this bad. This is solid. Um, so, yeah, she basically, she tells Buffy, you know, I don't know how you're here, but you are here, and that's amazing. But, like, please don't, you know, don't jump. She's trying to convince her sister not to commit suicide. Because, you know, is... she's staring. She's standing right at the edge, mm-hmm. and all she has are the flashes of her... Um, and she says that she remembers, like, she asks, she turns around and asks Dawn, is this hell? Is this hell? Which is fair enough, because most of what she's seen are hellions <laughs> and burning, yeah. burning things throughout Sunnydale. She mentions, uh, you know, things were just so bright. Um, and uh, don't know what that means yet, but uh, 
You think probably she's referring to when she jumps into the gate. Mm-hmm. It's so it's just so heartbreaking. Like Dawn should not have to be in this position in the first place. Um, and you know she tells Buffy not to move. Then the tower shakes a bit. She's like, or you know, do move towards me because quote this tower was built by crazy people and I don't think it's holding up very well. See, solid point. No, that was, unlike the tower. No. Um, <laughs> I gotta say, that is a perfect example of, even in the midst of this incredibly dramatic scene, throw in that really funny line. Yeah. It's really good. It's very funny, and it, and it doesn't feel callous. It doesn't Because Dawn's not making a joke. Yeah. Dawn is very, very serious about what she's saying. Because that tower was built by crazy people, and it is not holding up very mm-hmm. well. It's, um, it's just a really funny observation. Um, but yeah, the minute that it looks like Dawn is in danger... Mm-hmm. Uh, Buffy immediately snaps into action, and uh, and she grabs Dawn and then sees a uh, pulley mm-hmm. and uh, uses that to uh, get off the tower before it comes tumbling down. Comes a tumbling down, and uh, once again, this is another moment where it could have easily been like Buffy's back, but Dawn. Uh, Dawn hugs Buffy. She tells her she's home. She's safe. She's bought Dawn is crying. And then we cut to Buffy's perspective and there's just nothing. Just completely blank, kind of staring into the middle distance. Girl's not back all the way yeah. yet. And that's where we end. Uh, oof. That's depressing. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, what do you, I, it's, I, I agree with you that it's not as strong as the first half. This episode is definitely more action oriented. See, and that's the thing. A lot of Buffy episodes usually have their action at the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and you think like bargaining part one, we had pretty heavy opener action wise. And then everything else was character work. There was... Yeah. Almost no actual fighting besides the Buffy bot meeting up with that vampire. Right. And uh, and then, like, the Hellions. Yeah, which is uh, the very end. Yeah. And this, um, and the last, it, it did feel like a much, just a longer episode of Buffy mm-hmm. as opposed to two separate parts. And that part between the end of part one and uh, basically until she meets the Scoobies feels a lot like filler mm-hmm. um like padding and uh it really just it probably works well when you watch the episodes back to back but when you split them up like we mm-hmm. did it it really just kind of like makes it hard to get into the episode um so yeah i i think that the stuff that is good is really good especially like the scene on the tower mm-hmm. and um certain uh and basically like you know, everything that Buffy goes through between, like, you know, breaking out of her coffin and, uh, and then there are, like, some good, there's, there are a couple of good moments with the secret Scoobies, but, <laughs> um, again, so much of it feels like filler and sometimes even out of place. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, if I had to give it a score, which, you know, we usually do, <laughs> um, I'd probably give it a, two and a half uh razor claws out of five okay 
Um, I'm going to be more generous with it because um, because the stuff that's really, really strong to me makes up for a lot of that padding. Um, uh, I'm going to give it a three and a half little globby mouth things that you throw <laughs> at a demon. Um, but you're right. It is like I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the timestamp on... Uh, on the recording right now and we're we haven't even hit an hour yet <laughs> like i mean so i mean that, i mean that just says there hasn't been as much to talk about as there was and, in the and last you, episode yeah and you talked about jumping around um when you were trying to find your place again and that makes sense because we were jumping around yeah. because we we going through this episode beat by beat i mean would have been kind of boring yeah. so you gotta like go to oh when did this important thing happen yeah i mean i literally was just like i was like you know what i'm like as we were going through the buffy and secret scooby stuff i was like we'll just come back to the don and spike stuff because i can't add a third plot line in here to like try to keep track of um we'll get to them in a minute um but but I do think the stuff that's really strong is really strong. And I agree with you. I do think as a whole, watching it as a as all in one sitting, I... I which is how it originally aired. Which is how it originally aired, yeah. exactly. Um, you know, and if I were going to give bargaining itself the whole thing, I, I'd probably give it a four or four and a half. I, I'd be right there with you with the four. Yeah. Um, it, it actually kind of reminds me of how... There are certain episodes of Star Trek that are technically two-parters, but mm-hmm. they're like movie length. Yeah. Um, the pilots of the uh, of the twenty fourth century shows. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you got your like you know emissary encounter at Farpoint, and uh, but then there are also episode. Then there are also like two part episodes, like the best of both worlds, that are specifically meant to be two parts because they came. At the end of a season and the beginning of a season. Right. So, um, yeah, like it, you can definitely tell when you get to a two-parter what is supposed to be, um, like, was not meant to be just a long episode or was there meant to be a split? Mm-hmm. And I don't, like, this was meant to be a long episode. Yeah. And I will even say just, uh... I've always considered the first three episodes of season six of Buffy, um, excuse me, to be a bit of like a Buffy movie um, that bridges season five and season six because um, the next episode, we're done with the Hellions plot, but the next episode of Buffy continues on with this night. Mm-hmm. Um uh, it's a bit of a Halloween situation. That's kind of like how um, that's kind of how I feel about the season three finale of uh, Lost. Yeah, how like you know you have through the looking glass uh, at the end of the two parter at the end of again it's a two parter but it's really just a long episode. Yeah. Uh, but then right before that you have greatest hits, which just goes so smoothly into yeah. it could um, very easily be through the looking glass part one. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, but, you know, we've got, uh, Buffy back. Mm-hmm. She's been reunited with everyone except Spike and Giles. Um, everyone who's currently a cast member, uh, <laughs> uh, we'll say, except Spike and Giles. Although, I guess Giles is not a cast member. First episode of the series. 
um, if we're taking it on as its own episode that does not feature Giles. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I think we're off to a strong start for the season. Yes. I'm, uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to see how, where we go. I mean, obviously we know where we're going with the season, but we talked about last week about how this might be, it's going to be a harder season to talk about. Um, but I think it's going to be a really worthwhile season to talk about. I am, as I said last week, I'm very interested in how I respond to it because this will be only my second time watching the mm-hmm. season. And usually a, a rewatch of something hit, hits you a bit different. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. Uh, yeah. And I'm excited for it, uh, any guests we do because I don't know, this season is just so rich for interpretations and opinions. And, mm-hmm. Um, so we'll probably see Grace. Uh, I, (laughs) I already know where we're going to need to see Grace. Yeah. We'll probably (laughs) see Grace. We'll, we're definitely going to try to get, uh, get Ben back as well. Uh, Um, you know, our regulars and maybe, maybe a couple, maybe a couple new faces. Let's see what happens. New voices. New voices. It's an audio format, honey. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) Sorry. Such an asshole. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Oh, gosh. But I love you. All right. Take us out, Jason. Thank you for joining us on Booze and Buffy. We'll be back next week with Angel Season 3, Episode 3, That Old Gang of Mine. I hate this episode. <laughs> I hate it a lot. <laughs> I'm Harrison. You can find me on Instagram at Harrison Alexander Kaufman and on Twitter at Harrison Kaufman. That spells C-O-F-F-M-A-N. And I'm Jason. You can find me on Instagram at yamaj 357 And you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Booze and Buffy. Or you can email us at boozeandbuffy at gmail.com. The and is spelled out. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, where I get my podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And each week we'd like to give a shout out to a worthy charity or nonprofit. This week we are highlighting the World Food Program USA. The United Nations World Food Program, WFP, feeds the world's hungriest, most vulnerable people. For over 60 years, they've worked on the front lines of the worst crises, doing whatever it takes to deliver life-saving food. Visit www.wfpusa.org for more information. And as always, go slay and be gay. Tough titties. Tough titties.